turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1. When I was in high school many years ago, uh, I graduated in 1987, for those of you who care, and you can do the math. Um, It's been a while. Uh, Those years in high school were awesome for me. I came from a great church in Santa Barbara, Calvary Baptist Church, and I was involved in, uh, it was interesting, for me, I think I had three different youth pastors, three or four in our, my time from middle school to high school, and I, uh, those days of high school were very formative for me uh, in just what God would do in the rest of my life and even for today. Um, I got to go to uh, a camp, many of you have heard of it, Hume Lake. Um, I, actually, I went to a bunch of different camps, but uh, Hume Lake, I went for two or three years during the summer, and even during the winter, uh, when you're in Santa Barbara, where do you go to camp? There's like a mountain range, and you've got to travel a long way, but we didn't care. We weren't driving. Uh, we were high schoolers, just seats on the bus, you know what I mean? It was great. It was a great time. Uh, those years uh, that I got to go to camp, and specifically, I remember a couple at Hume Lake, uh, were just awesome. And I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough. Um, As a high schooler uh, in my youth group, um, we just loved it. It was just a great time. And I remember um, us loving the the meeting time where we were singing and uh, they had some great bands that would come and lead us in worship and just just going hoarse, you know, ruining our voices, uh, singing praises to God. We were so excited to be there. And it wasn't just... Um, you know, I don't know if you can imagine, some of you have participated in something like this before, but like 600 kids, 600 high schoolers in one room singing, and then me thinking, uh, me being in the midst of my, my buddies, my friends from my youth group that I was going to go home with. It was, just, it was just awesome. It was an awesome time. And, and even, uh, especially, I would even say especially, uh, the preaching times where we would hear the same messages and uh, they were directed towards us. And I remember looking to the right and to the left to my uh, comrades and uh, saying, you know, this is for us. This is now. This is life-changing for us. I remember also they did um, a thing, a morning worship time at 6 a.m. And me and my buddies, we were so excited. We were like, yeah, we don't need to sleep. We're young and dumb. We'll just stay up late and get up early and just keep going. You know, we'll sleep next week when we don't go to school or you know, just hanging at home. And so uh, it was a very, very great time. I remember uh, very distinctly uh, how different my time at camp was to the reality of my life back home and the challenges and struggles that I uh, had back home. And they, they talk about the mountaintop experience. And um, I remember talking with my friends and uh, those people from my youth group and even my youth pastor just saying, I wish, I wish life were like camp. I l- wish life were like that week at Hume Lake. And uh, the reality was it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, and even as I, I think about it now, uh, that week or those weeks that I got to experience those, those really amazing times, uh, they are a taste of heaven. They are a taste of heaven. And the reality of what we live in right here is more like Babylon. It's more like Babylon. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you uh, from the section that we're going to look at today. And I want to start reading in verse 8. 
<coughs> excuse me. Um, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs uh, to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I, I fear my lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink, uh, for why should he see you in a worse condition than the youths uh, who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Uh, then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned, Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, uh, test your servants for ten days. Uh, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Uh, then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Uh, so he listened to them in the matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were uh, better in appearance and uh, fatter in flesh than all the youths uh, who ate the king's food. Uh, so the steward took away their, their food and their wine and, and their drink and gave them vegetables. As for, uh, as for these four youths, um, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And at the end of the time when the king had commanded uh, that they should be brought, the, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them he found Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter uh, of wisdom and understanding, about which the king inquired of them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters and, uh, that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. And God, we ask your blessing on your word. Help us to understand it. Uh, change us. Change the priorities of our home, the way we parent, the way we grandparent our hopes and dreams for the next generation and help us to be strong in this time, in this place, in this season. God, do your work in us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, uh, you, you may say, I, I thought we were in heaven. And I want to respond to you and say, no, we're in Babylon. Uh, we're not in heaven. We're not in heaven yet. And it's going to be far more magnificent than the best uh, time you've had down here. Um, and it will never end. Um, and so uh, we look forward to that. We anticipate that as a jack-in-the-box springing from the box. Uh, we anticipate that. Uh, this morning, I, I just want to review. Last week, uh, we, uh, we got the picture that... Um, God's people, the people of Judah, Jerusalem, got taken away into captivity. Not all of them, just the, the young, smart, bright, uh, the best of the best got taken. And, and there were actually three, um, you know, captivities, groups that were taken. And uh, in this first group, we have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, we realize that they have, um, in this first chapter, uh, we see, even as I read to you today, 
um, they have two different names. They have their Hebrew name, and they also have their Babylonian name. Uh, Daniel most of the time refers to himself as Daniel because he's writing, and he, uh, that's who he calls himself, his Hebrew name. Um, we also uh, see that there's these other three, his friends, the ones that are close with him. And even in this first chapter, uh, we see Daniel speaking really for the whole team, the, the four of them, and maybe others, but definitely the four. Uh, and so uh, we see them as one unit. And Nebuchadnezzar, the king, took them into captivity for a reason. Uh, it was part of his conquest of the strengthening of his kingdom. And so what he was doing was making them his very own. Uh, he was giving them things. He was giving them position and power and food and training. And his desire was to make them his very own. Uh, they were the exceptional ones. They were the healthy ones. And these uh, ones were uh, drawn by Nebuchadnezzar to himself that they would serve him. We see today that uh, they were taken into captivity and given a good spot, a good spot. Most of the time when we think of people being arrested or taken into captivity, we picture uh, some kind of a, uh, encampment of some sort with barbed wire. And, but this was not the case. They were brought in uh, hoping that they would be a part of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. But in, in our story today, we see that uh, they were given this, this food this food for them to eat, and it was from the king's table. It was the choice cuts. Uh, As I shared with you last week, it was the Wagyu of the day, right? Uh, It was the expensive wine. It was the the good stuff. And they were offered this, not really offered it, but they were required. This was what they were to eat from. Them and the others that were being trained uh, to be ready to serve King Nebuchadnezzar. We know this from the passage that... uh, Daniel got this in his mind that he would not defile himself and really connecting with his three friends that they didn't want to eat the food. It's not that they didn't want to eat the food, but they knew that it probably wasn't good. And we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, So they didn't want to defile themselves. And so Daniel goes to the uh, the one over him and the one that's preparing and uh, handing this food to them. And he he negotiates a workaround. Uh, I, I, I like thinking of it like that, because that's exactly what it was. He was thinking, how can I uh, still remain uh, in good standing, but also uh, not defile myself as I'm concerned to do? He uh, negotiated this workaround for 10 days, and then uh, as they were um, inspected or um, seen, it was agreed that they would be allowed to not do this for the three years of their training And then later, uh, at the end of our story, we really see the king approving of who they were and seeing them as good. I want to this morning just kind of take a a look separately at the ungodly uh, characters that we have, and then uh, the godly ones, the ones who honored the Lord, and then look at God's participation in that. So there's three things, and we'll kind of walk those through this morning. First of all, the ungodly. Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, as I've been reading through the book of Daniel over and over again, kings don't have to be consistent. Did you know that? They don't have to be consistent. Uh, They can uh, be human-like and compassionate and kind one moment, 
And then the next moment, chop your head off. Because uh, when you're king, you can do those sort of things. And they did. And they did. You're going to see it in the book of Daniel over and over again. This idea that uh, ones in leadership, ones who are over, um, they should be consistent, but they're not. Um, and so we see in Nebuchadnezzar um, that inconsistency a couple of different times. They also, um, I would say this, that most kings display uh, a narcissistic self-focus that is only concerned, their only concern is what they look like and if they can retain power. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was um, one of power and conquest. We looked at that last week, that he loved gaining more land, cities, and servants. And so as we consider Nebuchadnezzar, what he was doing, he was making them his. These young men, he, he, he said, they're mine now. They're mine now. Um, you, you think about that and you, how repulsive is that, right? This idea of slavery, this idea of one human owning another. Uh, but this is what he wanted. And so there was this indoctrination process that he was putting uh, these young men through. And his desire outcome would be that they would be uh, trained to make him great. Um, if you can say it this way, they, they were brought in and uh, he immediately says, get them a company shirt. You know, get them a t-shirt with our logo on it, right? You know, get them some bling of the kingdom of Babylon here. And so they can say, hey, you know, I'm part of the team now. I got a t-shirt. Um, they, uh, they were trained in this is the way we live here. This is what it looks like. Um, I think that uh, if someone moves from, uh, it, there's tons of places that would be very different that you would move to Tehachapi. There would be a sense of process of learning to live in Tehachapi, you know, especially if you're from a big city with sky rises and stuff. And you say, well, we don't have those here. And they say, well, I used to go to this coffee shop. You're not going to go to that coffee shop anymore. I like this store. We don't have that store here. You know, uh, there's an there's a indoctrination process to that whole deal. And it's like, it's not that it's bad. It's great here. We love it here. It's, you know, especially the beauty right now, just stepping outside yesterday was incredible. Um, as you look around and you see the snow, it's just an amazing place. But it's different. It's probably different than the place that you came from. It's different from the place that I came from. And I'm here and not there. I just want to point that out. Um, and I love it here. And this picture is that they're bringing these young men to Babylon. And Nebuchadnezzar is, let me show you how we do things here. And it wasn't just, uh, you know, where we eat and this and that. It was the God that we worship or the gods that we worship. That was part of the old days. And he was, Nebuchadnezzar was taking them from where they were to now where they should be in his mind. This is the way we live. Uh, this is the way we eat. This is the way we eat. This is what we eat. And in all this, um, his desire was, I will treat them well and I will gain control over them. By the way, I'll just put a little, don't want to talk too much about this, but uh, when you find someone who wants to control you, Beware. Beware. A person, a boss, uh, a coworker, 
even in relationship, one that wants to control you, definitely in politics, definitely. And, and why, that's, why that's dangerous is we have only one Lord and God. You know, he's the only one who gets control. And so for, for you to see someone who, and, and you sense that they want to control you, you go, no, I'm already controlled. I already got a, a Lord and God, the one that I love, the, uh, the God of Daniel is the God I serve. Uh, the Christ of the New Testament is the one that I follow. So for you to say, I'm, I'm, I'm already bought and paid for, I'm already off the market, I, I have no room for someone else to control me in my life. And so we, uh, we see uh, that Nebuchadnezzar, this was his desire. I'll treat them well, and I will gain control, and then they will serve me. They will serve me. He had a plan. He had a strategy. And I would even say, go so far as to say this, and then I will be great, and then I'll be great. And I say, and then, Nebuchadnezzar thought he was great when he was a kid, probably. Uh, he, you know... Tyrants like him, they, they don't just, you know, snap to when they're 20 or something like that. It, it happens. You know, he probably always thought he was great. And what he was looking for were people to help him be great. And so that was part of his conquest. That was part of him taking Daniel and his friends, that he would be great. And remember, he took these young men, probably 13 to 16-year-olds, I shared with that with you last week, 13 to 16-year-olds. And I, I know I made a big deal about that last week, but I think it is, is a big deal. Um, our kids, our kids, these little ones that are up here, the reason they're here, I hope the reason they're here is that they would be trained to be ready, trained to be ready. That uh, as, we, as we train these little ones, and they're in their classes right now, over there, we're not doing much over there. It's just crowd control a little bit. You know, we're doing a few crafts and stuff like that. As we look down the hallway over here, we got some teachers over there that are attempting to teach them what the Bible says and that the Word of God is something. You know, it's something important for them. It guide their life. And then Caleb takes them over there, and I want to tell you that he desires to give them what they need right now in the heat of the battle. And so uh, I just want to tell you, um, winter retreat's coming up. They're going to Mexico. Stuff going on in the summer. The summer's a busy place around here. We have small groups and things. Like, it is important stuff. And I realize uh, the schedule's tight. If the schedule's tight, throw some things out. So, so it's time to prepare them to be the one, right? The one that will be able to stand these young men, these young women, uh, 13 to 16 year olds. It's so hard for me to get. Uh, I'll get to it later, but Daniel was 15. Daniel was 15. Or he was just turning 15. Or he had just turned 16. I'll, just, I'll get to that later. Um, that's how old he was. Um, and, and you look at that and you go, I, I can't imagine that. I can't. You're thinking back right now, I hope you are, to what you were like at 15 and what you were ready for. Um, you were really working on finding your own shoes, some of you, right? You were like, you know, I'm, I'm going to keep track of my own shoes and not have my mom have to find my shoes for me, okay? Um, backpack, remembering my lunch, doing my homework. Like, like these are simple things. Not standing up to the king of Babylon, probably the... Uh, 
in many ways the most powerful men in the world at that time. And so, 15, they can be ready, they should be ready, they need to be ready. And as parents and grandparents, this is what we're hoping and sharing and pushing them to and praying for. And like, this is what, that they would be ready. And as older people, we should be ready as well. We'll get to that in our study of the book of Daniel also. We, we see Daniel as this 13 to 16 year old. So that's Nebuchadnezzar, his desire that they would be his, that they would be indoctrinated, that they would uh, be his in a way that they would, he would gain control, that they would serve him so that he would be great. We also know in verse 10, in verse 10, we see uh, Ashpenaz, and we, we've met him last, uh, last passage as well. And this idea was that he was part of the training process and a middle manager for King Nebuchadnezzar, that he was in charge uh, probably of the whole training process, but definitely of these uh, who were in cap- captivity. And Ashpenaz, what was, he, what was his concerns? What were the things that he loved most? Um, he, in a much less narcissistic way, he loved himself too. Um, if you look down at verse 10, it says, The chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king. Uh, he had fears. Uh, he had fear. He, he was afraid uh, because of his job. I, I think most of us can relate somewhat to this, that you're afraid of getting fired, or you remember being afraid of getting fired. You remember, you say, I got to do a good job. I got to do what the boss says because I don't want to lose my job because I need my job. I don't want to get fired. And that was his heart. He realized that he wasn't a free agent, that the Nebuchadnezzar was over him. And there was something that he really liked that he wanted to keep. I don't know if you got that in this passage. Uh, look, look down at uh, verse 10. Uh, it says, uh, the chief of eunuchs said, I fear the Lord, my king, who has assigned your food and your drink. For why uh, should he see uh, those of you who are in worse condition than the youths uh, who are of your own age? Uh, so you would endanger my head, my head. That's what he really liked. He really liked his own head and he was hoping to keep it. Um, I, I think that sometimes we, we struggle to put ourselves in that place, but it wasn't just that he was going to lose his job. He was fearful of losing his head. And we'll see in the chapters that go on that Nebuchadnezzar was not above uh, killing someone because he didn't like what they did. He, this is what kings do. It wasn't, uh, they didn't have to be rational and, like I said before, consistent. We see this and we realize that Nebuchadnezzar, he didn't know God. He didn't have a relationship with him. And Ashpenaz didn't either. They were driven by different things than Daniel and his friends. Well, uh, we move on to God's man. And I would say plural, God's men. God's men. I believe that all the guys were on the team with this. And that they, um, as we see in the chapters further, that they worked together. And they stood together um, it says, uh, as we move on here, um, actually go back, it says, but Daniel resolved, he resolved. Uh, that word resolved is really the issue of the heart. It's that he placed his heart in a uh, position, and it was this idea of conviction, and it was an inside thing. As he saw the, the decisions and the things unfolding, he goes, I can't do this. I can't do this. And uh, I, I want to encourage you, 
that um, that's what happens when you're God's. That's what happens when you have a relationship with him. That's what happens when he is Lord over all of you. There's this line that you can work well behind the line. You can do whatever. And, but there's a line that says, I can't do that. It's not that you can't do it in the sense of physically I can't do it. But the idea of saying, because of who I am, because of my identity, because I am God's, I can't. And so I won't. Can't, so I won't. And I want to say that he wasn't just saying, I can't do it. He says, I won't do it. I resolved. It was an issue of his own heart. Um, And how that comes out, you know, it doesn't come out unless the decision comes. But then when the conversation, when someone's pushing on you to do something, that's when it comes out, I'm not doing that. Nebuchadnezzar resolved. It was an issue of his heart. And what did he resolve? Uh, It says that he would not defile himself. And that's the word he uses again um, as he describes it to Ashpenaz and maybe to others. Uh, He he was not going to defile himself. And the the word defile there is to ruin or to pollute. Uh, I want to connect that with it's... The word that is used throughout the scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, it's a few different words. But it's the idea of keeping oneself holy. And holy gets a bad rap. You know, we, we rarely would use that in a good sense. Uh, you know, oh, you're holier than thou, or you're trying to be holy. And, but the idea of being holy is to being set apart. It's to not being infected by all the pollution of the world. And it's to set apart yourself. And, and this is what he said. He says, I will not pollute myself. I, I won't pollute myself by doing what? Eating of the king's food and drinking of the king's wine. Um, he, he resolved that he wasn't going to do this. He, he wasn't going to pollute himself. He knew that uh, his identity was to be God's holy person. We, he doesn't describe why the food and the wine was unholy. He doesn't, he doesn't share that with us in the, in the passage. But I'll tell you this, probably two things. Uh, first was, if, if you look back... Uh, to the law of Moses, the, the books of Moses, two different places, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it describes uh, what food God's people eat. And most likely, this was outside of those laws, that law of Moses, that these were forbidden uh, meats especially. Uh, and so as he looked at them, he said, no, that's not what God's people eat. I'm, I'm, I'm God's man, so I, I don't eat that. I don't eat that. The second thing that um, I believe is in play here, maybe even a bigger uh, piece, even than uh, God's Moses' law, actually the same, but um, is that this food was most likely um, dedicated to the Babylonian gods. It was a part of a process that they would butcher the animals, he would bring the food, and it would be given, it would be given. Uh, to the Babylonian kings, and and then put on the king's table. And the connection here, it's important to get this, is that the connection was a connection with those Babylonian gods. That those gods were giving me the power, uh, mystically or just even physically, those gods were giving me the power to be great and to be successful in this life. And so it was a connection 
uh, both to now this new kingdom, but even more so to the, the Babylonian gods. And so as Daniel saw this coming together, he says, can't do it, won't do it. I will not defile myself by eating at the king's table. And so uh, as we think about this, uh, I love the way this uh, proceeds because we see um, what he does. Uh, he, he's saying, I'm not going to identify as a Babylonian because I'm an Israelite. I'm God's people. Now, now you think about that and you think about what, what kind of pressure was on him to, and, and his friends. What kind of pressure was on them? What, what kind of temptation was there? You know, uh, there's, there's a list, really, and I'll, I'll go through them briefly. Um, most of you have taught your kids uh, to respect adults. And uh, picture a 15-year-old. Um, you know, some, some 15-year-olds won't even challenge a teacher at school. Some 15-year-old, like, you know, uh, if they're down at the Whiting Center and one of our police officers says, hey, what are you doing? They just start shaking, right? They're like, the authority is talking to us. What about the king that's just taking him into captivity? And he says, you know, this is what I want you to do. There's a sense where kids who have been taught to obey, they respect authority and they just say, he's the king. I guess I got to obey. There would been a pressure there for that. You look also, um, this was the king's command, right? Uh, they probably knew how kings acted. And so there was maybe a sense of uh, what will happen if we don't. It's not just a respecting authority. It's that I might die uh, for this. So there would be a, a, an idea of maybe their own um, safety. Um, maybe as they thought and as they realized what was happening, they realized that they were in a good position and they said, you know, uh, it's not a good idea for my future career to disobey the king. This isn't going to get me very far. By the way, um, many of our students, the kids this church, as they go to school, uh, both high school and college, they succumb to this pressure, right? Uh, the teacher holds the grades, Right? Holds the grades, especially when you write reports, right? When you write reports, there's a sense where it's not just a number on a page, math, right or wrong. It's, I didn't like your paper. You got to see, well, why didn't you like it? You didn't agree with me. And, and there, there's a sense where you, you feel compelled to say, this is going to help me in the future. If I sell out now, it will help me advance, and then I can glorify God once I get to that position. There's a temptation. This may not be good for my future advancement. Uh, what about the, their eyes? Uh, maybe they, they walked past the table. And they go, oh my, did you see what they had today? Uh, when I was in college, it was a, I think it was my graduation or my sister's graduation or something. And we were done with the day and my, my dad wanted to treat us. And so we went to the Odyssey. How many of you have been to the Odyssey? I mean, it was amazing. It was a buffet like I've never seen. There were food everywhere. It was every kind of food I could imagine, and it all looked beautiful. And there was this like, this is great. I think the king's table was like that every day. 
And they, they would have went by. Have any of you ever been around teenage men when they eat? Man, it's something else, something else. Uh, yeah, when teenage boys, when, when you have three boys and they're all together, you know, I'm going to tell you. Uh, it's something else, you know. You've got to put a lock on the refrigerator. Uh, and, and, and you can just picture them going, man, and, and, and the idea of, Oh, you, you can't imagine how that tastes. And maybe they even heard, you know, hey, it's, uh, it's steak night tonight. And you, the, the, it's just amazing. You're going to love it. You're going to love it. There would have been a temptation of their own desires that they would have looked at the food and it looked good to them. Um, and maybe even the temptation of saying, you know what? We're in captivity. It's maybe just the four of us or a handful more. Mom and dad will never know what's going on here. We'll never know. That's the danger of uh, going away to college, young men and young women, or just going away to a different city. And the farther away you get, the more you get a sense that in your mind that no one will ever know. No one will ever know what I'm doing right now. By the way, uh, they're saying now, um, I don't know anything about computers, I own one, yeah. I don't know anything about it. Like, I just own it, right? It, you know, it works, I guess. And when it doesn't work, I go to someone who knows how it works. I got a phone, too. You know what they're saying uh, is that everything that happens on your phone and computer is there forever. Like, somebody can find it. Somebody's collecting that down. Everything you've ever looked at and every click you've ever clicked. And you go, oh, no, someone will know. I want to tell you, forget about Apple and Samsung and all these other companies and Facebook or Twitter, whatever. whatever. Forget about them. God knows. That's not about your mom or your dad or your grandparents. It's about the God of the universe. And so as they would have been tempted, they would have been saying, maybe mom and dad will never find out. They would be so disappointed right now. Forget about them. I want to go back and to talk about the food, what was the replacement? What was the workaround? <laughs> Vegetables and water. Young men, uh, you'll become a vegetarian or you'll eat at the king's table. Uh, wow. Um, it, it's interesting. Uh, I, I, you know, many of you have looked for um, used cars. You've bought used cars before, and you look at Craigslist, or you go to whatever corner happens to be in town here. We were laughing, those of us who have lived here a while. It used to be the Chevron, where they're building the new one. That used to be the car lot, and then it was Wild Rose. Now it's moved across the street, and eventually that'll be something else, and we'll go someplace else. But you can go, and I always love it when you check out the cars, and it says, um, it says one of two things. It says the price, and then it says what? O-B-O. I always love the people who say, firm. I'm not taking a dime less. And I always think, oh, unless, of course, it's there for a month or two, and then you might take a dime less. I'm firm. I'm convinced I will not change. I'm resolved. I'm resolved I will never do this. Unless, of course, the price uh, comes into play and I, I need it, right? And then I will turn to, I'll be resolved, but then I'll turn to, or best offer, right? Whatever I can get. 
I want, I want you to point, I wanted to point that out because that's what uh, the question was for Daniel. What would be the price that they would pay? Were they firm on their price? Were they convinced and, and convicted that this was the right thing to do? How about veggies and water for three years? Yikes. Young men. 15 to 18, right? That, that was going to be those years, 15 to 19, somewhere in there. That was going to be their, and they were signing up for vegetables and water for this training uh, process. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Well, now we come to God. So Nebuchadnezzar, Ashpenaz, uh, Daniel, and his friends. Now we come to God. And I want to say this, that... Um, Heroes of the Bible, heroes of the Bible. How many of you have thought about that? You know, who are the heroes of the Bible? I've seen books like that, heroes of the Bible. I just want to point out something. There are no heroes of the Bible. There are heroes of the Bible, and Daniel's one of them. But the reason that he was heroic was because of the work of God in his life, without which he would not have been a hero. He would have folded like a house of cards. You know, he would have given in. He would have went to the table and shoved that food in his face. Probably not thinking twice about it. There are no heroes of the Bible. There's God being the hero in our lives and changing us and making us strong that we can serve him. And so we look in this passage and it needs to stand out to us. If you look at verse 9, if you, and, and we're going to see what God did for Daniel, what God did for him. Verse 9, uh, but Daniel resolved that, that, you know, that's about Daniel, that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine or the drink. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him to not defile himself. And then it says this, verse 9, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. What happened? God worked in the heart of this ungodly man that he would see Daniel and his friends with favor and compassion. Isn't that awesome? Uh, when we're afraid of how people, especially people in authority, uh, ask for that favor and that compassion that Daniel uh, found. And, and you can reference that as in your prayers to God. God, you, you know, I, I'm in trouble here. Going to this authority, they they don't they don't love you. They don't, they don't fall after Christ. There, there's a lot of I'm 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 fearful, but God, can you give me that same thing that you gave Daniel those many years ago? That that when I say these words, that there will be favor and compassion that come from this ungodly uh, ungodly person, that that would reflect uh, back on me, so that I could serve you in this time. There's blessing that comes from God in this passage, and he's first blessed with favor and compassion in the eyes of this man. If you skip down to verse 15, uh, we, we see this. In, in verse 15, it says, um, at the end of the 10 days, remember they said, give me veggies and water and test us, and then in 10 days, let, let's see. And at the End of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. Um, I, I like how it says that, fatter in flesh. We've never thought of that as a good idea, right? Because we already are struggling with those things. But um, they were blessed by God with health and strength. Um, 
you know, the idea that uh, veggies are going to be enough and water. And I, I want you to get this. I, I, I want you to get this. Um, being a vegetarian, being a vegetarian is fine. If you, if you want to do that, that's fine. But this is not saying that you should be a vegetarian and then you'll be, uh, you'll be stronger than others because God loves vegetarians. I just want to tell you that I have heard someone say that. It's not the right answer there. The, the idea here is that that was the blessing of God, that, that God took them and because they had looked for a way to serve and honor him, he blessed them in the eyes uh, of this man. And so we see that they were blessed with health and strength. If you skip down to verse 17, as we see the end of this training time, it says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had all uh, understanding in all vision and dreams. Uh, how did that happen? Because they studied hard? I bet they did. But how it happened was God gave them. God gave them. Apart from him giving and blessing them, they would have nothing. Think about this. This is super important for us to get, is that God worked in Daniel's life, that he was involved. This wasn't just Daniel being a hero. This was Daniel doing his part, but God making the difference and blessing him. He blessed him with knowledge and understanding. Uh, it says also that with visions and dreams, and that will be a big theme in, in the uh, chapters to come. We'll come back to and describe what that was, God's blessing of Daniel. And then you see in verse 19, um, kind of a reiteration, but I, I want to point something out here. And, and the king spoke with them, and among them uh, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters uh, that were in his kingdom. Uh, I, I want to say it this way, that God blessed them with glory for himself. For himself. Uh, ten times better. Like they were, they were standing head and shoulders uh, and amongst the other captives, probably from other cities and towns and places, that they were saying, why were they so much better? Because God was making a point to Nebuchadnezzar that, he, that these were his guys. They were his young men. And that even, you know, in a captive place and difficult situation, God was glorifying himself in these four young men's lives. I want to just point one more thing out because it's in the passage and I think it's pretty important. Verse 21 says this, and Daniel was uh, there until the first year of King Cyrus. I thought we were talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, well, Daniel's writing this. Daniel's writing this probably at the end of his life, probably as in that last year or somewhere around there. Um, if you do the math, and I, I struggle like, to nail this down because they don't tell us exact ages when his birthday was, right? It doesn't say when Daniel's birthday was. But it does say the years of the king. It's another time stamp. Well, if you do the math, King Cyrus, it would mean that Daniel, uh, when that first, so he was serving in Babylon, that area, 
he was serving until uh, that first year of King Cyrus, which would make him 81 years old. Okay? So 15 years old to 81. 66 years he served. He served. And, and God, you're, we're going to see that God had his hand on Daniel uh, through all the difficulties of serving. Uh, and, and what that means, it, we're going to see that that's three or four different kings. That he didn't just have favor with Nebuchadnezzar. He just didn't get a spot with Nebuchadnezzar. He got a spot with everybody after Nebuchadnezzar too. Until he was 81 years old. What a beautiful thing to think of one serving the Lord and standing for him when he was 15, but also when he was 81. Isn't that awesome? Some of you were discouraged last week because I kept on saying teenagers, and you're saying, I'm so far gone from being a teenager. What does the book of Daniel have to say for me? I want to tell you, it has a lot to say because he served the Lord for 66 years, and really in captivity, in captivity. And so this little phase that we see is really 15 to 18, and we're going to move on from there in the, the chapters to come. But know this, uh, that, that we can serve him at any time. I want to give you three things of how to work with God, and I think these are important today. Uh, as you think about your situations, the things that God has for you to do, I want to give you some real simple things of how to work with God as we see for Daniel. First of all... Uh, Remember him as Lord and no one else. Remember him as Lord and no one else. As you think about your day, uh, you're going to have bosses. You're going to have people that are over you. You're going to have governments. Uh, it doesn't matter uh, what government we have. I mean, it does matter, but it, it, it's going to change. Uh, remember this, that you have one Lord, one Lord. And no one else. And so as you are under authority of men... Remember this, that it's the Lord that you serve and the Lord who uh, has the final decision for you. The second thing I would say this, do your part, do your part. Um, We don't see Daniel as passive. Like uh, it doesn't say, and God did this for Daniel and he did nothing. He sat there uh, like a dead fish on the sidewalk, right? Uh, he did his part, and these men did their part. They, they went to the school. They, they learned what they were supposed to learn. But God was the one who blessed them, right? But they did their part. And I just want to encourage you um, to do your part right now. I don't know what your life is like, um, but you have a house. Take care of it, right? Um, you have a job. Go to your job. Work. Work hard, right? Uh, do your best. You have a marriage uh, you know, fulfill those roles in marriage, and you are the one to, to, to foster that, right? Do your part. Um, as you have kids, raise them. Raise them. Don't, don't look for it. We, we're here for you, but it is not our responsibility as the church to raise your kids. Uh, if it would, we'd have some spankings out in the lobby afterwards. You know who you are. Um, uh, and let, let, me, let me be clear to you. Let me, I... I I, I'm not joking when I say that, like, like if that's where we're, but I want to tell you, the Bozer kids did not get enough spankings growing up. They did not get enough, and I failed in many respects as, you know, anyways, what am I talking about? Uh, do your part, do your part, right? Do your part, fulfill your roles as God has placed you. 
uh, this is what... uh, This is what God has for you, that we would do our part, that we would remember him as Lord and none other. uh, Do our part and then depend on him for the victory and the blessing. Depend on him. I I think it's important for us to remember in desperation, in good times and difficult times and even like emergency times, to cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm on a losing team. Lost. Lost failed miserably. I can't do this without you. Uh, I love some of the songs that uh, Zach picked because they were victorious. I don't know if you caught that. They were victorious. That because of our relationship with Christ, we have won the victory. Uh, And we can't do it without him. We cannot do it without him. And I hope that this morning, even as you're here this morning, as you have come, I I hope that's a symbol of you knowing you can't make it without him. I think that that's what Sunday morning, our times should be like, our times uh, uh, personally in the Word and uh, other Bible studies, but this idea that we come knowing that we can't make it without Him. Can't do it. Um, I want to encourage you. That's a good thought. That's a good thought. And it's borne out in the life of Daniel, even as a young man, that God made the difference. Please join with me in prayer. Father God, thank you for this morning. And God, thank you. Uh, for an example of young men uh, who walked with you. Old Testament, not knowing of your son Jesus, but knowing that you are a God of mercy and grace, knowing that you were a God who makes a difference, knowing that you're a God who blesses his people as they seek to serve you. God, we uh, pray this morning that you would make us, give us that same heart of resolve that we would not defile ourselves. God, pray, I pray that you would help us to see with eyes what is defiling in this world. What should we push away and say, I won't be a part of it. God, help us to make those decisions and help us to uh, have that resolve that comes from you working in us, that your blessing will be enough for us as we seek to serve you even today. God, thank you for this time. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.